I went to a Seder last night. Someone put on a Seder for me. of Glop Culture. I am John Pomporitz, this time in Chicago, celebrating the Passover holiday with my wife's family. I am in a basement in Rogers Park, West Rogers Park, Uh, and I believe also in a basement, but his traditional basement is Jonah Goldberg. Jonah, that is a a basement, is it not? It is is a basement. It's, It's not below ground. It's like at ground level with our backyard. So. Uh, because I see the camera angle that I see Jonah on, uh, the camera's below him, and over his shoulder is like one of those little windows, so it looks yeah. like he's in a basement, oh. but apparently not. So, not to give away my location to my many stalkers, but the front of my house is on a hill, mm-hmm. so the first floor is at kind of ground level. Defense, is it defensible? And the back of my house is on the other side, is on the downside of the hill, so that it is also on ground level, at the basement level. Hmm. You know, there, there are, there are people, so there are people to, who could use yeah. maps and figure out where that house is and determine that that was If one was to lay siege to your home, Jonah, you would, right, you would yes. suggest you, you're vulnerable in the, in the rear. So to speak. Yeah. Yes. yes. And, uh, but not, I believe on a third floor uh, in, sure. in, third floor. in New York is uh, Rob, Rob Long. Hi, Rob. Hi, happy Pesach. Thank you. Uh, 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 Rob, uh, I, I, uh, Maybe that's the problem. Maybe if you all things that we say to each other. Maybe if you had a few more vowels and maybe took us some of the consonants away, it wouldn't it wouldn't be such a hard hard road for you fellas. Let me just tell game. you that not only not only are vowels an issue, but when you really know Hebrew, there are yeah. no vowels. <laughs> yeah, right. I can, I can You're imagine. supposed to intuit the vowels. Sure. The vowels disappear. The vowels which are diacritical. And, and add and, some. And, and, Don't and just swallow. Some, and so they are they're not there. So you basically have to um, infer the vowel. Right. Anyway, during the um, <laughs> the trouble in the Balkans in the '90s, my dad used to send me weird emails. Many times a day with odd jokes and asides and observations, and one of them, after trying to like cope with all of the Serbian names in the popular news, proposed a free trade agreement between Hawaii and Serbia, <laughs> where the Hawaiians could export some of their excess vowels in exchange for some more consonants <laughs> and vice versa. And every time I see a like one of those names now on either side, I, I think of that. So, um, Ratko Melodic. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Ratko, the guy's name was Ratko, and I believe he was a very bad person, and his name was, in fact, Ratko. Right. But wasn't Melodic also the name of the the villain general they were trying to get out of, uh, yeah. Gary Oldman was trying to get out of jail in um, Air Force One? I believe so. Sounds, sounds plausible, yes. Release Melodic. I didn't even remember that, I didn't even remember <laughs> that Gary Oldman was in Air Force sure. One. Sure. That's, that, that's the, the one, that's the one where, um. The President of the United States says, Get off my plane! Get off my plane! (laughs) 
That's for the last line. And, you know, I believe that somebody should say, I'm sorry, Mr. President, it's not really your plane. It's really the plane of the American people that you are allowed to use for a couple of years, maybe. So, you know, the Lyndon Johnson story where he was getting off getting on plane. Getting was getting on getting on, on a helicopter. On a helicopter, I think. Okay. Anyway, some valet kind of guy says, "Sir, your helicopter's ready." And Johnson turns to him and says, "Son, they're all my helicopters." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And then uh, I just read this whole thing. There's a biography, a new biography of Lady Bird, or yeah, letters, yeah, sounds stuff, great. Right? Or some stuff has been released from Lady Bird archive and stuff like that. And basically, Johnson like. In 1965, apparently, had something very close to a nervous breakdown. And he was like, I'm just going to let Hubert do everything. I can't take it anymore. Yeah. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Which now it makes you understand why he was so eager to believe that losing Walter Cronkite's support on the Tet Offensive was sufficient for him to quit the presidency. Because apparently he just well, really hated lost, being once president. Once you lost uh, Walter Cronkite. And, and it was Lady Bird who, who kind of gave him a slapped him in the face and said, please yeah. stop it. Lyndon, this is un- this is unbecoming, and she kind of yelled at Lady Bird. Beautified, yeah. she first started beautifying LBJ, and then she beautified the the, uh, it's the, it's the it's highways. It's yeah, more contemporary than that gold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more contemporary content screams America. <laughs> but by the way, we are just to make this clear, we are in fact all too young to have any memory oh, yeah. of oh, Lady yeah. Bird. So I, I just do want to say but that. But don't we you, are, when you get us to be a certain age, don't you find that you just you want to say things like, "Well, let me tell you something." Back when LBJ was president, or whatever, <laughs> and you act like you knew him yeah. or were around that, or you have any kind of connection to it at all. When in yeah. fact, when Lyndon Baines Johnson was president. I I believe I was still pooping my pants. Oh, well, that, well, that doesn't narrow it down too much. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I like to say that I, I I didn't do it once during the Obama presidency. I started well, again so, during Trump, but that was for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I remember the Johnson presidency. I actually remember. Do you? Uh, well, because I would have been, I was in, I was seven in 1968, and I, I have a memory that I think is real and not manufactured of the night that he announced that he was not running for president again, because my family was all sitting, gathered around the television watching this uh, speech, and I, my, my sisters, my older sisters were 10 and 9 years older than I, and were... Um, very excited uh, to hear this news. So uh, I have this kind of dim memory yeah. of, of at, that. At that phase of your dad's political evolution, yes. was that what? Give me. Was that great news? Good news? Mixed news? <laughs> bad news? What, I, mean, <laughs> I honestly, I honestly can't tell you. I think basically it would have been Meh. reasonably okay news, uh, but not. You know, not horrible news. I mean, I don't think he had any emotional attachment to Johnson or any sense that Johnson, you know, was uh, horrible. You know, um, sorry, let me so, ask you a different way. Was his yeah. was his? Let's say he was mildly buoyed by it, right, or mildly upset by it, one way or the other of that dividing line. Was he mildly? Was were his emotions derived from the left or the right at that time in 1968? I, I think they were. They were then derived uh, mostly uh, rage and disgust at the at the anti-war right. at the at the. Although he himself had been a 
a figure in the anti-war movement. The anti-Americanism of the anti-war left had already begun to surface itself very seriously. But 1968 should be said, if anybody who really wants to get granular about the history of neoconservatism, much of what much of what constituted the rise of of, of neoconservatism uh, was born in a very local event uh, in 1968, which was a school strike in New York City uh, that was staged. There was a walkout by the teachers' union, which, oddly enough, then was considered right-wing, just mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. can understand how this works, uh, run by a guy named Al Shanker. Oh, yeah. And what had happened was that a radical, a crew of radicals had taken over a local school district in Brooklyn and had announced it was going to fire all the teachers because they were Jews and they thought that black people should be teaching black students and not these Jewish teachers who then made up either some large minority or even possibly a small majority of the teachers in the New York City school system in the in the late 1960s. And Shanker took the union out on strike. And the school strike then, there was a kind of explosion of black anti-Semitism. And in that crucible, that was a major uh, it's odd because you know, you think about oh this Titanic struggle and communism and all of this, but the New York City school strike was as important as any other event in the formation of this rump movement. So I I, I would be happy to get deeper into the uh, weeds on the neocon stuff, but uh, what was the Woody Allen movie where he wakes up in the future? Sleeper. In Sleeper, I believe the reason why the world is plunged into a dystopia that they're only recovered from later is because Al Shanker got control of a nuclear bomb. (laughs) You must understand that everyone you knew in the past has been dead nearly 200 years. They all ate organic rice. You are now in the year 2173. Now, this is the central parallel of the American Federation. This district is what you probably call the southwestern United States. That was before it was destroyed by the war. War? Yes, according to history, over 100 years ago, a man named Albert Shanker got a hold of a nuclear warhead. Al Shanker got control of a nuclear bomb. Yes, that's right. Anyway, just to show you where we are compared to 1968, uh, uh, leftist activists did not like teachers' unions. And now, of course, teachers' unions are all sitting eating bonbons while while, uh, America's uh, schoolchildren are descending into... Uh, suicidal despair. So that that is at while they are being supported by exactly the same sort of people who, what is that, two generations, two and a half generations ago would have hated them and thought that they were all evil. So uh, this is why you cannot imagine that you know what politics is going to be like 20 years from now. You're always hearing people say, oh, you know, we have to oppose this or we need this kind of legislation because if we don't do it in 20 years, well, we'll never get our let's people do it will anyway. never get elected again. Let's do it anyway. Okay. In the future. Yes. Strange bedfellows. Well, right now, strange bedfellows. Let's talk about strange. Right well, now, I, mean, I am closer politically to Glenn Greenwald, a person that I would have said 10 years ago should have been put in jail for treason. Uh-huh. Than I am to many other people because Glenn Greenwald is a free you speech. You and Greg, Glenn Greenwald are, are are bedfellows. That is a strange. We, we are we are not bedfellows because I know where you're going with that. No, we're you, not you bedfellows, know I'm going with, but you're strange okay. bedfellows. 
We're, we're certainly strange bedfellows. Well, I think that goes without saying. But right now, that's a, I, Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald are people I mean whose views on these matters I admire. And like 12 years ago, I would have said Matt Taibbi uh, traffics in anti-Semitic um, imagery in his attacks on Goldman Sachs. And Glenn Greenwald is a is at, at least a an, an unwitting agent right. of the Russians uh, in his handling of American secrets. And now they are both representatives of this uh, anti-woke uh, position and, uh-huh. and, and attacking really, really effectively uh, the horrible uh, woke totalitarianism of the American media. So here I am in, you know, in sort of finding things to admire about them. And that's, if you had told me that would have happened in 2011, I would have thought you were insane. And that was right. just 10 years ago. Hmm. So I, you're not going to get me, you're not going to bait me in any way to speak up in favor of Glenn Greenwald. But um, I do find that the the creative destruction of of the need to find new and uh, new identity politics martyrs is doing fun things. And I think of this because Glenn Greenwald is now considered the en- enemy of champions of transgenderism because uh, he, I believe, thinks that they're a threat to lesbians. At least that's how I got it from Twitter. Um, and I find the the right-wingification of feminists who don't want transgender girls or, or biological boys competing in female sports to be a great example of how strange bedfellows arise um, while you're not looking. Well, Rob, let me ask you this. Who do you see? It, let, let's take this as though we couldn't have imagined, as I don't think we could have two or three years ago, this thing I'm saying about Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald sort of happening, right? right? But so uh, take it ten or twenty. Yeah, years that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Road. Like if you go to the future, what 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 are yeah. the most unlikely pairings in the future? Well, how about Mohammed bin Salman and the Prime Minister? How about the yeah. how about the <laughs> the King of Saudi Arabia and the Prime Minister of Israel? Israel? Yeah, BB and I mean, Salman. We're, we're, and... almost, we're almost there. BB and MBS. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there tree. was this movie in the late seventies yeah. called Americathon. That, yeah, I remember that. Remember? No, sure, yeah. sure, America. So in America, in Americathon, which is about how America has gone so broke right. and all this that the, that that the president of the United States is John Ritter, and he has to ride a bicycle everywhere because there's no money for gas and all this. And the and the alliance that runs the world is called the uh, the Israel Arab uh, the Hebrew Republic. Yeah, right. Uh, so uh, imagine, that, imagine that, doing that, now, you that may pop- now be happening. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm just trying to like even uh, even those weird dystopic uh, jokes from the, like remember the movie The Running Man, and yeah. uh, Richard Dawson plays the host of the Running Man show, and at one point it's uh, all going haywire, and uh, and so and and so he needs to he he they're going to go an extra I think an extra episode or something, and he shouts at his underlings, "Get me the president's agent." And everybody laughs because, like, well, the president of the United States now has an agent. Um, but, I mean, I don't think it's that weird now to think that the president has, you know, the, the former president has an agent. The former well, president's the, a the TV pres- producer. The president, the president had an agent, I believe. Yeah, no, no, agent definitely, was, Trump definitely was had Ari Emanuel. Yeah, definitely Trump, Trump had, had yeah, super Trump's agent, agent was the most powerful right. agent oh. whose brother – was Obama's chief of staff. Right. And whose other brother thinks that you should just jump off a bridge when you hit 66. 
75, but I'm sure I'm sure well, it'll, stay it'll, tuned. it'll go down to 66. <laughs> I know. Tuned. Okay, so we're still All in right, the yeah. Strange Bedfellows now. Who might be Strange Bedfellows It's the future, later? right? It's AOC and somebody unlikely. AOC and... Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, something like something right? weird like that, right? That the world... Tucker and Elizabeth Warren are moving that way already. Yeah, that's right. right that's right. Um, you could see how, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds in this and offend anybody, but you could see how if there were certain discoveries in science about the nature of homosexuality, how lots of oh, yeah. gay types become pro-lifers. Uh, um, Rush Limbaugh right. used to uh, tell told a story once. I thought it was really funny. He said, "Look, when this is, I think, before he." before the past 10 years when he still kind of having fun um that when the uh you know the the, the planned parenthood uh, office on k street is right opposite the right to life office on k street and everybody in those offices are can look at each other in the window and as they're making fundraising phone calls and then the minute the gay gene is discovered so that you can test in amnio and they find out. Places. They all put the phones down in the middle of the call. They go down in the elevator. They cross K Street, and they go back up in the opposite, and they pick up the phone calls right where they were. Like, hello, hello. Hi. We're just and, – and, and I think that's actually was pretty, pretty smart. That will, that will be what happens. But uh, Tucker um, and Elizabeth Warren's a very good is – a, is, a, is a good example. But again, present, right? So um, – Yeah, I mean they're not quite there yet because the culture war stuff – divides them but you can see how culture war stuff can flip um very quickly i mean it's funny how we were talking in the green room as it were um i just listened to this podcast series on the english civil war and it is amazing how much the various factions switched their original positions over the course of this like two decade time about whether they were parliamentary extremists or they were monarchists or they wanted one religion to rule one religion to rule the country or they wanted religious freedom people subscribing to these views change right. all the time because so much of the the differences were motivated reasoning about what their other factions were for and that made that determined what they were against and you can see a lot of that kind of stuff coming i mean what about what about georgia i mean think about georgia 2018 georgia 2020 sure. Georgia 2018, it was the axiom of the Democratic Party that the governorship of Georgia had been stolen from Stacey Abrams by Brian Kemp, right? And that uh, there had been hijinks and voter suppression and this and that that had, that had ginned up, that had uh, suppressed uh, 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 black votes in particular, but had suppressed minority votes and Democratic votes, and Brian Kemp won by... Uh, a margin well outside any kind of there was 50, recount margin, 50,000 votes. Two years later, Trump and his people, though they have a different set of – they have a different uh, fact uh, array, right. um, essentially just simply take over the idea that the election was stolen in Georgia – and then just flip it, and they take it on, and they they use it, and then oddly enough, they end up attacking Brian Kemp just the way, <laughs> yeah, that, right, that the Democrats attack Brian Kemp. But I, I think the way to think about this is, um, I mean, I, I wrote about elite theory recently with Pareto and Mosca and Michelle's and those guys. Is the way you get these weird new bedfellows is the the changing nature of 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 power, right? And so like. All of these, I mean, like you talk about Georgia, for most of our adult lifetimes, not, not most of it, since the 80s, 
um, or I should say since the 90s, Democrats talked about the the Electoral College being um, the the blue wall, right? right? And how it was insurmountable, and that's why, and none of them thought the Electoral College was uh, a Jim Crow relic or a vestige of racism or any of that kind of stuff. And the second they realized the Electoral College is now to their disadvantage, their ideological orientation completely reverses. You see the same thing with the filibuster with Joe Biden. Um, and so if you, if you just start thinking about what would change the power balance, you can all of a sudden start seeing what changes the ideological balance. And I think that one of the things that Trumpism really exposed was for a lot of people, I mean, like Ted Cruz, he, you know, he spent his entire career talking about the glories of the Constitution. And then that's or Josh Hawley and all of that goes out the window the second the political you know, power matrix changes and they start talking about how, you know, the Congress can reject, you know, certified electoral. <laughs> right, I mean, right, right. I, I think we're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff. Well, it's, I mean, uh, the one thing I will say is that there is a there is a tradition of radical thought in the United States. I know this because I had these, you know, Vietnam draft dodger teachers at my ritzy uh, private high school. Um, who, uh, you know, in the 1970s told me that the Electoral College was bad. Why? Because what they wanted was national policy being made from Washington. And it was sort of right. like, that's what should happen. It should be, why are there states? The states, this was a, a serious, states were bad. Because why, why wouldn't we just be like Europe and have, you know, not that Europe doesn't have doesn't have cantons and states and things like that. Obviously, Germany has them, but in some some leftist fantasy, you know, springing from the brain of the elites of you know of of, of the capitals, the good things can be rained down upon people whether they want them or not. This sure. notion of the diffusion of power, federalism, and all of that they thought was evil, and so the, the, it's not as though the attack on the electoral college and this weird majoritarian populism that 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 democrats are now are now a totally in the grip of was it didn't have a didn't have a, a precedent in their own no but it, in goes, their own it goes into quiescence is that the right word when yeah. uh when, when things go their out. way when it works yeah, when things them. go their way right i mean yeah i've been making this argument for years that the history of progressivism is best understood as taking the ball wherever the field is open so <laughs> They liked primaries when they thought primaries would yield the kind of right. candidates they liked. They stopped liking primaries when they didn't. They liked an imperial, you know, Woodrow Wilson started out talking about how Congress needs to be like Parliament and Supreme. And then when he realized he had a better chance of running the country from the White House, he becomes an imperial president. They liked the imperial president through FDR. And then when they stopped being able to do what they want through the presidency, they switched to the bureaucracy. When the bureaucracy is no longer their friend, they switched to the courts. And so like new bedfellows, if you get a slightly more conservative, um, reliably conservative majority on the Supreme Court, uh, you're going to see people talking. You're going to see leftists talking about Congress. My favorite example of this over the years is when ever Republicans proposed amending the Constitution, which is the only proper and right way to change the Constitution, not through like rereading its meaning. And Pat Leahy and all you and I have written this column several times. Pat Leahy and these guys, they all of a sudden take to the floor of the Senate and say. I, for one, shudder at the thought at tinkering with the majestic <laughs> genius of our founding fathers about an amendment. But like when liberals reread the, you know, from a, some penumbra, um, whatever they want into the Constitution, that's great. But like when you actually want to change it, they're like, we cannot tinker 
with the the ornate and intricate clockwork that is our constitutional order. Yeah, like tinkering, like like the the rules that that the rules that govern the amending of the Constitution are tinkering. Like it is that it is like it is like digging a hole two million miles deep just to even consider amending the Constitution. And yet we had a whole bunch of them. Like we had a whole bunch of them in a very short order. Right, but then, and then we didn't. Right? right, I mean, it's like the last, the last one. We had that the bizarre last. Uh, the twentieth amendment of the Constitution is about is about congressional pay. <laughs> it turned out that it was one of these things that had been first introduced like eighty years ago, and then finally at oh, some point right. the thirty the thirty eighth state voted it in, right. and you can't raise. You can't raise the amount of compensation of members of Congress in the Congress in which they are serving or something like that. I can't remember. I mean, it is the most the most banal and inane <laughs> Good thing that you can possibly imagine. It took 80 years for it to pass. That's, and yet, the, the, yet prohibition passed pretty quickly. I mean, as soon as the women had the right to vote. Um, you know. Uh, that's an interesting place for us to pause just for a second while a, <laughs> while our listeners consider the um, oh I'm getting is, is that going to be canceled of, John is that it is this going to be an ad from the league for women no, voters <laughs> I'm trying very hard not to cancel you Rob uh, which is why I would I like will not to be silenced to today you know if we could just repeal Section 230 Pod wouldn't be able to do this exactly I think really right. the key the key thing here is that. Um, Sometimes the Constitution needs amending or mending, and its style <laughs> needs some updating. Right. So maybe the way for it to get much-needed style updates is to use Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget. Every piece is chosen for your fit and your life, and it's the easy solution to finding what makes you look and feel your best. Try on pieces at home before you buy. Keep your favorites. Send back the rest. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and a prepaid return envelope is included. No subscription required. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries. You'll pay just 20 bucks in a styling fee for each box, which gets credited toward the pieces you keep. And there are no hidden fees ever. Stitch Fix has styles and clothing to fit any occasion for women, men, and kids. They they ship all over the U.S. and available in the U.K. as well. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash glop, and you get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash glop for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com slash glop. Our thanks to Stitch Fix for sponsoring the glop podcast. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We're now in year two of COVID, and so uh, oh, man. on the one hand, on the one hand, uh, this uh, is glop culture. It's a podcast in which we talk about pop culture, and obviously, there's a lot of pop. There's a lot of TV and streaming services, and there's the Marvel series, yeah, yeah, and there's this and that and everything. And I'm 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 running out of things to think about in terms of culture. I've been writing about culture since 19. I've been writing about in the professional prints about culture since 1979. That's 42 years, and I'm running out of things to say because I, I don't find that the world of the stream engages me sufficiently in the way that, say, movies did or even the way that, say, mass television did once upon a time. I can't – there's so much of it on the one hand, and it seems so inconsequential on the other. I don't know what to say. Well, that's that's the – you know, that is the the heart of the, 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 the problem, right? I mean – 
the the issue with the internet years ago was that okay, what we need is that we need to, it was the, called discovery. That was the hardest thing for us to find, right? Discover how how do people discover the new thing, right? So they had all these different. I mean, you, know, you might have forgotten some of them, but some of them were, at the time were considered extremely promising, right? There was Dig, and there was StumbleUpon, and there was the Yahoo ranking. And there's all sorts of ways that you delicious was one where you found new content on the web and it's essentially the same thing now um the problem is now that there's so much and that promoting a title is expensive so you have to have a star you have to have something in it that has some free publicity value but but at a certain point even those the even those names will become less and less have less and less power i mean everything is being inflated and diminished yeah but let me ask you this yeah we're, so we're now in this world. Everything is atomized, right? I mean, we've been seeing it atomized over 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 decades, but everything is now really atomized. So things are going to need a star. Where are stars going to come from? Right. If there's no common culture, exactly. It's uh, it's it, it's you know Ross Douth had called this uh, the fact that all we do is remake things or make sequels to things or something the decadent society he wrote this but book called the decadent yeah, society. Yeah, but he missed it in, in, in show business. He was wrong. The reason that we we redo things in show business is because you know the title. I don't have right. to introduce you to something new. It's competing right. so the with titles so, the star. The titles the star. So the, title the theme is the star or the, the face right. of the star. I don't want to. Right. If I have to pay to introduce you to a new star and a new. Right title and a new story then i'm gonna have to spend a lot of money that, that i may make a lot of money right that's a that's a that's rolling the dice and that's but that's actually how you get really really rich right right but uh, you know if i'm in the, the, the in the in an entertainment business i'm a studio head or i'm a shareholder i'm like no 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 i want you to hit three or four singles and five right. triples i don't need you to hit a blockbuster because that that in order to do that's going to cost a lot of money so that, that that is ultimately a problem. So some people, there's a little bit of room on the lower end where people are kind of swinging for the fence at a lower price point, and there's a little bit of room with the high end where the, basically it's an Avengers movie or a version of an Avengers movie, and then people in the middle just kind of like it's really hard because 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 every movie costs a hundred million dollars because right. every movie's got to like okay be, be be announced in the in the world right okay but we're about to have an Oscar ceremony in like two or three weeks. And at this Oscar ceremony, it is likely that a movie called Nomad Land will be named Best Picture. Right. Is that where? And my guess is know. that Nomad Land has been watched now by forty-five thousand people. I mean, right. look, right. Moonlight, Moonlight became Best Picture, and it it it, it had made two million dollars. Well, at the box I remember office. having this box argument with you should, a yes, year ago. A year ago, yeah. The Oscars are a promotional platform. Right. Everything for is a, for you to watch that that movie, right? But why does anybody? Well, okay, you're gonna you're but gonna no one's have watching the Oscars show, anymore. right? Okay, right. Anyway, the reason I only bring this up is No Man Land has a star. It has a, a it stars Frances McDormand, who has won two Oscars, mm. right? So she's a famous actress, mm. and all of that. I'm just saying, like, ten years from now, how is there going to be a Marvel movie? In other words, like where. Where is the Marvel well, movie going to come? Well, from? The Marvel movie is the one kind of. I'm yeah. at, to Rob's point, the Marvel yeah. movie is the one kind of movie that you don't need the stars because the title right. is the star. But I'm right. saying You're only Marvel have will Marvel degrade. Movies. Right. No, but Marvel right. will degrade over time. Yeah, maybe. Like that's, maybe. It's right. Yeah. Or let's just say Marvel goes away, and there needs to be 
another Marvel, right? I mean, it's well, or maybe Wars, it'll be monsters. Star Wars. You know, maybe it'll be vampires again. Okay. Or zombies. Yeah, remember we had zombies for like it was like you how roll a rock it, and hit a zombie. How, how does it happen? That's well. That's what happens what is it slowly me. happens that people lose money. People, it's, it, you're, you're, it's Omaha Beach. How it happens is that you go and a lot of people die, but somebody discovers a new genre. And okay. then you pile but, all the money behind but, the new genre. Right. That's exactly how it works. Okay. And people so, in Hollywood – wait, 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 so, let me finish. People in Hollywood hate that. Okay, sorry. And the shareholders hate right. that because what they want to know is what's the flywheel? What's the thing that keeps I – can, I can – what's the system yeah. that can keep turning out the hit? And the truth is there isn't one. It's all right. – a crapshoot. Brandon Tartikoff was named the chairman of Paramount Pictures, and he gave an interview – this is a million years ago – an interview for the New York Times Sunny Magazine. They did a profile of him, and he said in this big pull quote, said, hey, listen, making movies is a crapshoot. And Sumner Redstone fired him like the next week <laughs> because – I mean, well, I don't know yeah. if Sumner Redstone. It might have been uh, Mar- Marty Davis. I, I forget who was running the yeah. panel at the time because you, you, can't, you can't say it. You can't say that. It's true. Right. Everybody knows right. it's true, but you mustn't say it. You must say instead, no. well, we have already these research and blah, blah, We blah, don't blah. care whether it's a crapshoot or not. I don't no, care. I don't movies. care whether they spend $200 million or they spend $2 million or anything like that. I'm, I'm talking about something different, which is like it's not clear to me, and particularly if the, if the cinematic exhibition business is now in some kind of a death uh, spiral yeah, downward, knows, right. which I think is like – but it may not be, but it's as likely that it is as that it isn't. Right, Warner Brothers, and this is the weirdness. Right, Warner Brothers decided to take two billion dollars of value of, of movies that they had invested in, and slap them up on on their streaming service because Wall Street likes the streaming services right now. So it's good for the stock price. So rather than do what they can to preserve the the possibility that any one of these movies can itself make a billion dollars, they're like going, no, we'll, we'll just jack up the stock price because, because, uh, because the market likes streaming services and so we're going right. to make it look as attractive as possible. And they're actually going to lose money, but try to make money through that, whatever. All I'm saying is like, if that happens, if there's like no thing where, you know, 25 million people go to a movie theater on the same weekend. Yeah. But, but yeah, where does where ten years later no, is there a Marvel? I so John, John I, I get your point, yeah. and I think that the thing is, is that that what you're saying is we're running through our supply of superstars, and we're not replenishing the supply with young people who can become superstars. And I right. think that the way the perverse way we're going to see it is that the way you become a superstar as a nobody actor is get into a comic book movie. Like uh-huh. Chris Evans yeah, became right. like, right. and that seems to be the pattern. Like Gail Godot, all the Chris's, Gal Gadot was Pratt, in a couple movies. Same thing, yeah. Right. Chris Pratt, yeah. you know, I mean, right. some of these people they land these super superhero roles, then they go off and do funky weird stuff. But what if there is no? Yeah, you, wait, wait, wait. Billion dollar but you, wait, Marvel but, movie but anymore? Of course, there'll I mean, be you, there'll be something else. I mean, remember, okay. Batman okay. was a comic book and a cartoon, and then a stupid campy TV show. That basically treated it all like a joke, 
And then mm-hmm. it suddenly became a movie, and then it became The Dark Knight, and then it became The Joker. I mean, this thing is this, this you could do yeah, okay. you could do the same thing with Richie Rich, make a really dark Richie Rich, <laughs> right. poor little rich boy in a dystopic. Or I would go to that. I would I would, I would yeah, watch the too. Half out that. of that movie. So, yeah. but, but yeah. so you, you're, 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 it's like somebody's gonna somebody tries something, and you poke the bear a little bit, and you get enough traction. You add a little bit more money to it, and then before you know it, you have something big. Yeah, and then people are discovering all that. Uh, you know, uh, um, who was it? Beverly Cleary died. She wrote all the Ramona and Beezus books. There's yeah. a Ramona and Beezus like uh, universe. There's a Hardy Boy. You could do the Hardy Boys universe set in actual Bayport, Long Island. That is an yeah. old kind of like almost Gatsby esque part of a, a, a place in Long Island where, where mil- zillionaire mansions were, and it has an actual yeah. port. You could do that. You could set it in the twenties, and then you could do everything they did at the Grosset and Dumlap publisher. Okay, and I don't care. Again, it's but, weird. no, you're like, saying where would it come from? What? It could no. come from any of those places. No. Okay, but I'm talking about distribution. Well, that's and a separate problem. The collect- and, the, and the gathering of a mass audience. Well, that you have right? to pay for all on streaming. All popular culture... Right, okay. Or... All popular but, culture depends on, yeah. on the summoning of a mass audience that has a collective national experience that has an altering effect on the direction of culture downstream. Here's the thing. Right? Yes. But he, That's but my the, point. What the, the gate isn't, the promo- isn't promotion necessarily. The gate is... How you pay for everything, and if you can pay for the movie, you can pay make the movie. You can pay to pr- promote the movie, and if you can pay right. to promote the movie, everyone will know it's there. Um, okay. But it's expensive, so that's one of the reasons why. In, until Netflix, no, and and Netflix is still the only one. No entertainment producing corporate entity ever sold its product one time. For one price, right. that never happened. Movies, move, studios did not make money by the tickets. They rented it to the th- theater owners, and the theater owners got a, everybody got a piece, so that the so that, that there was always a different kind of um, uh, stream of cash coming into the producer, whether it was the network or the network receipts or the syndication receipts, whatever it was. Right, so you could subsidize your losses to build a, a library. Now, of course, for Netflix, you can't subsidize anything. It's like, but except. What's happening to Netflix now? They're experimenting with advertising. You know, Spotify had a press release today that said they are. <laughs> That's the funniest thing. Did you read, did you read yeah. this press release? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They are yeah. experimenting with this new radical idea where you can listen to your favorite podcasters and 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 musicians play live. Yeah. So you can listen to them do a podcast while they're doing it. Live radical yeah, invention yeah. of the yeah, radio. radio. They invented it's radio. radio. Right. And Netflix is reinventing That's broadcast television. It's like, yeah, yes, right. we have. I okay. get it. It's better. I get it. It's nonlinear. Oh, and we've had this conversation yeah. many, 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 actually many, happened. many times. Yes. I would like. I, I would. Li- I would just like to add in one possible uh, other reason for hope. Uh, human vanity, um, in the so insofar as. Um, being an investor in movies is one of the great Veblen goods yes. in economics where people – it's not a great investment, as Rob will tell you, but there is no shortage of people who want to invest in movies because they like the idea, like Steve Mnuchin, yeah. of being invest, investing in movies. And I can see – and that's one of the things that gives me some hope is that the stupid need of rich people to not content with their fortune from making <laughs> wire hangers – right. 
um, want to be able to go have drinks with beautiful people. They will keep throwing good money oh. after bad in, into producing movies. And some of them will be successful at it because of a law of averages, like monkeys banging on typewriters. And so it will replenish itself. It's like I'm much more worried about other parts of our culture than no, like, you're right. movies are going to avoid. But there's a hilarious version of this story, right, which is DreamWorks. So let's talk about Dr DreamWorks was founded, right, as a new studio concept by Jeffrey Katzenberg, Steven Spielberg, and David Geffen, right? All of these guys, though, Katzenberg was not at the time billionaires. And Spielberg and Geffen are now probably multi-billionaires in the 5 to $10 billion right, dollar range. Right. The studio didn't go exactly the way they wanted it to. And uh, what did they do after they ran through their initial financing? Did they put their own money in? Ooh. Of course they didn't put their money in. They went to India and found morons in India to give them billions of dollars. People who had less money than they did. It's called, they were like, yeah. come, give, give us your money. And then when they ran through that, then they had to go to China and get some money from China. And then basically, then they sold it. Then they got rid of it because they weren't going to pay for well, it. O what are they, stupid? We call it an OPM business, other people's money. <laughs> OPM is the biggest. The, but, but remember, Katzenberg learned that from Eisner under Disney. Disney came up with a financing uh, instrument called Silver Screen Partners. And they went and they collected a pretty small number of invest. I mean, small, not small number of investors, but a small investment, roughly. Like I think it's like ten, twenty, hundred thousand dollars. It wasn't much. Uh, silver screen partners. And at the end of the movie, these Touchstone movies, mostly they were the old, uh, the old studio Touchstone. The silver screen partners would be thanked, and the silver screen one and silver screen two and silver screen three. And I think there was even a card where all their names were there, and uh, most of them had. The name followed by DDS after it. That's <laughs> how they raised the money. And it was – these are guys who are like, I, you know, I'm a dad of Seth Dennis. I think I want to be – And that's fantastic because yeah. that's how the Coen brothers finance Blood Simple. Yeah. The Coen brothers and Sam Raimi who made Evil See? Dead. Sam Raimi who made Evil Dead was from Birmingham, Michigan. His father was a doctor. And he went around and they raised like $100,000 from doctors in, who ended up making all this money. On this like gory little horror movie, and so that idea was then taken by this giant mega corporation to 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 con schnooks into investing in Disney, like the, sure. like, like Disney couldn't have silver screen partner deficit finance silver screen itself. partner. Right. Okay. When we come back uh, from the ad I'm about to read, we need to talk about uh, the Snyder cut because that is actually one interesting that is actually popped up. model. Yeah, that is an interesting model that, uh, that that we should talk about. But before we do, uh, uh, let me just talk to you about what's not fair. You know what's not fair? The fact that Netflix, the very firm we're talking about, hides thousands of shows and movies from you based on your location and then has the nerve to increase their prices on you. That's right. They've just raised their prices once again. Now, you could just cancel your subscription and protest, or you could be smart about it and make sure you're getting your full money's worth by using ExpressVPN like I do. Here's how it works. You might not know what's on Netflix in your country is completely different from what someone in the UK or Japan has on theirs. But using ExpressVPN, you can control which country you want Netflix to think you're in. ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from. So every time I run out of stuff to watch, I just switch to another country to unlock new shows. This is real. This is real. 
Go to India. You can watch movies. You, you, you select India. You can watch movies that are not on Netflix in America, but watch them in India. And here's the best part. It's not just for Netflix. You can use ExpressVPN to unlock shows on other streaming services, too. Some people use it to watch BBC iPlayer, which is free and only available in the U.K. ExpressVPN is also super fast. It works on your phone, laptop, smart TV, so you can watch your shows on the big screen with zero buffering. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash glop. Don't forget to use our link so you can get three extra months free. That's expressvpn.com slash glop. expressvpn.com slash glop to learn more. Thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring the glop podcast. Jonah. Have you watched the entirety of the four-hour and two-minute cut of Justice League, a movie seized or somehow taken from its original director, Zack Snyder, reshot by Joss Whedon, who is now in, in, in uh, moral jail for the rest of his life, um, and, uh, uh, but has now been restored to Zack Snyder for HBO Max. It's four hours and two minutes long. The follow-up to Batman versus Superman, which was, I will say without question, the worst movie I ever saw from beginning to end ever. Tell me about you and the Justice League and Justice League. <laughs> Zack <laughs> Snyder's Justice League. Did you see it? I've seen an hour and 45 minutes of it. Okay, so okay. I watched it in two parts because four hours is a big commitment. Um, second half is better than the first half. Um, it's a better movie than the Joss Whedon one. And for reasons that will annoy Rob, I won't get into um, about the actual comic book plotting stuff. The, <laughs> no, the he, ultimate problem, though, is like, you can't... People are imposing their ideological stuff on this, and I don't mean like right-wing, left-wing. I mean like people have decided that it must be good and, um, and that Zack Snyder is now the sort of dashboard saint for a lot of people, and so they're rushing to confirm their priors because they've been prophesying it's going to be good. It's good. It's not great. It's good. It's better than the original. But it still suffers from – first of all, there's no way that the original – if it was originally going to be a theatrical release, Joss Whedon was never brought in, Zack Snyder never left, that it was going to be four hours long, right? This was – they knew they had a captive audience. He could put whatever the hell he wanted and People were going to stay through the credits no matter what. My basic problem with it – well, I mean, I have, so, I have a few problems with it, but my basic problem with it is that even though it's a different movie, you basically know, except for, like, the actual ending, which is different, you've met all these characters before, you've seen most of these scenes before, and it's sort of like you can't read a book for the first time twice. You're watching this, and it automatically takes you out of the sort of let the movie wash over you mode, and instead it's like, wait, was that scene in the first one? Or what did they do differently here? And it turns everybody into a film critic rather than like a film fan or a film enjoyer and all that kind of stuff. Also, I will just say, and I've said this on my own podcast, I think Sonny Bunch's point is an interesting one. You know, and this was Zack Snyder's great insight, supposedly great insight, which is not exactly as new or insightful as I think some people claim, that the idea behind... Uh, Man of Steel and then Batman versus Superman and then Justice League is to ask what would society's reaction be if Superman were real and like a god came on Earth and all this kind of stuff. That's a good idea, but if that's the actual idea of this movie franchise, he doesn't execute that. You don't have cults 
of people worshiping worshiping Superman running around. You don't have you know you, you don't have people treating him like a god. It's it's like okay, Batman's worried about collateral damage when Superman knocks over a building, and so he freaks out. A lot of these points were already made in the Avengers movies anyway, and so I just don't think it's nearly as clever as people want it to be. Gal, I could watch it on mute just for Gal Gadot, um, uh, and I'm guilty of the male gaze or whatever, but I just I find her um, pleasing to the eye. Um, and other than that, I, I just think people are hyping it too much. Um, so I've watched, as I say, I've watched an hour and 45 minutes of it, and I think it's terrible. I'm sorry, it's terrible. Uh, everyone's grading on a curve because the Joss Whedon version was unwatchable, and this is not exactly unwatchable, though if I were in a movie theater, I would find it unwatchable because I would need to go to the bathroom and I wouldn't necessarily want to come back in because of its length. I, I hear you. I will say, that's why I said the I, second half is better. Yeah. The first half, yeah, okay. I was probably so, where you are. So, um... I realized it was minute 59, and as this was going on, I, I must say that uh, Sonny, but we're talking about Sonny Bunch. Sonny Bunch is the culture editor of The Bulwark and a famous movie troll on Twitter and one of the people who was pushing for the release of the Snyder Cut after uh, Warner Brothers took the movie away from Zack Snyder, gave it to Joss Whedon, and then released it, and he wanted to see this for years, and they finally, whatever it happened. So as I was watching it, I was texting Sonny throughout it, making fun of him and his ludicrous defense of this whole project. I'm sure he enjoyed that. And one thing I realized... He probably wasn't trying to just be with his family or anything. But go ahead. No, he wasn't. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> at, at minute 59, I realized that literally nothing had happened. That is to say, the plot had not actually started of this movie, and we were an hour in. That's part of the problem. We spent an hour being introduced to characters we were already introduced to. Yeah, Aquaman is in a town in Geflagerschmagen, and uh, Batman tries to get, and Aquaman says, get out of here. So then he can't, then Wonder Woman beats a guy up in a museum. Then this happens. Then Batman has a conversation with Alfred. Then the Flash saves a girl from a, from a bus. And then, and nothing happens. The plot doesn't happen and it's all with slow motion, and the color is drained out of it, and it's, there's beautiful shots of, 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 of the sky. And then there's a description of a war 5,000 years before between people from Atlantis and people from Wonder Woman Island. And it's like, who gives a shit? Nobody gives a shit. What the hell is going on here except David French and Sonny Bunch? No, no, so both I, of whom have the worst taste <laughs> that anyone's ever had in the history of the planet. So I look, I agree with that. That's sort of what okay. I was getting at about how you can't read okay. a book for the first time twice. We were introduced to these characters by Joss Whedon. We've since had three different spin-off movies featuring these most of these characters. Right. And so the all the dramatic stuff about being, oh, my gosh, this is the first time we get to see The Flash. This is the first time we get to see Cyborg. This is the first time, blah, blah, blah. We've already been introduced to all of this yeah. stuff already. We yeah. got the Wonder Woman movie. We've had yeah. all of this. And yeah. the idea that it's supposed to still hold your attention after you've already been introduced to these characters is, is, is kind of nuts. I have one other thing to say, and then I think Rob gets to make his snoring noise, which is what he does oh. whenever we talk about superhero <laughs> oh, movies. Oh, we're way past that. <laughs> we are way. <laughs> okay. 
So there's a scene, and it lasts for 10 minutes, where they introduce the Flash, who is, of course, either he either runs really fast or he can slow time down. I, I, I don't really know what, which. Einstein and would he, tell you that's a false choice. Fair enough. Okay, so he, there's a girl, and he sees her at a window of a store where he's trying to get a job as a dog walker or something, and, and she, a, a bus is about to hit her, and then he breaks through the window, he goes, he saves her, but this goes on for like 10 minutes. So I don't like the X-Men movies. I think they're pretty lame, except for the last one, Logan, which was fantastic, which is mm -hmm. not an X-Men movie, really. But I think they're not very good. But there was a scene in one of these X-Men movies where you meet, I guess, the the, the Marvel version of, of The Flash, who is Quicksilver, Quicksilver yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And there's a scene where Quicksilver runs really fast around a room, and it goes in slow motion. And the scene is set to Time in a Bottle by Jim Croce, and he maneuvers all of these things to happen in real while he's running around and it's all in slow motion. And then, after about a minute of this, time resumes and there is this fantastic 15 seconds of slapstick mm -hmm. where everything that he set up happens. Two people punch each other, a rock falls on somebody else's head, people trip each other, and then the good guys get out of the prison they're in and get to leave. And it's two minutes, and it was inspired, and it did everything that this 15-minute scene does in the Justice League, only it was witty and clever and unexpected, whereas this is like having somebody yell in your ear for 15 minutes the way I'm yelling in your ear. Now, Rob... Please make your snoring noise because we haven't had it yet. Oh well, yeah, I had—I was on mute. Was I was wild. literally asleep. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I wasn't going to see this movie, and now I, I, you, you guys really sold me. Um, <laughs> no, I will say this: when someone says to me that a movie is four hours long, but the second half is better, <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. That's it, all I need to hear. There is a world of people in the in the cinematic that is true. in the, in oh, wait, the cinema watching universe. Yes. Oh, I thought no. You were I was saying you said there is a world of people, and I said unfortunately that's true. But I'll let okay, you finish. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm gonna let you finish. So joke, Rob. Yeah. there are these well, famous movies. There are these famous movies, and then people say, "Oh my God, they were taken away from the director, and they were edited." And there's yeah. a four and a half hour version of it, and it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Right. Once Upon a Time in America, Sergio Leone's massive epic about Jewish gangsters in Brooklyn right. in the 1910s. Right. Heaven's Gate, which I actually saw in the original version, then was cut, then it was restored. And there's like the restored version. It's four hours. Oh, my God. And the people write these essays about how these are fabulous masterpieces. And you know right. what? They never, they never are. are. They were cut brothers. for a reason, which is they were dead in the water, and people watched them, and the, the studios watched them and said, maybe if we cut them for two hours, we can gull about five million people into buying a ticket before word gets out that this is a dog. The Farrelly brothers, I think, are the only directors ever to release a director's cut that was shorter than the release cut. <laughs> and they realized it was much better. And they're also the ones who, when they had to cut the movie, cut a movie for something, it had to be the, for some reason the timing was off, it had to be the right time, and their editor said, oh, I can find that time for you. You don't even, I don't have to look for it. I'm just, I just when I put it through the digitizing machine, I do a thing called Zeusing, I think, which is you just take a little bit. Everything just seems a little bit faster, just a little bit faster. You can't really tell. And then they will do it. And so they came the next day and said, "This movie is so much funnier now." 
And he they said, yeah, everything's funnier when it's faster, so just make it faster. And then they from from then on, they're like, every movie we make, we're doing this to our movies before they're released. We're just going to Zeus it. Right. Just get it a little just a little faster. Everything's faster, I funnier. We say in business. It is the only story that I know of in, in American movie history where somebody intervened to make a movie longer that was a salvation effort and that worked. So it, there is a there is a whole mythology around it that we don't really know what the truth is. Is the Godfather that that Robert Evans claims that Francis Ford Coppola turned in a cut of the Godfather that ruined it because it was two hours and fifty minutes long, and he said, "What are you crazy?" We need more of the wedding. We need more of the ending. We need this to be longer and richer and more like an epic. Let it be three hours long. Hmm. Now, Coppola says that was a lie, that he turned in the mandated, he turned in his contractually mandated cut in order to prove to Evans and people at Paramount that it needed to be longer, that it would be unsatisfying, that this was his actual deliberate choice. But either way... That is a story of a movie, of a perfect movie that had to be three hours long, and it was, and there it is, and people claim credit for having insisted that it be longer, either the director or the studio head who produced it. Aside from that, there is almost no movie that is longer than two hours that should be longer than two hours. And I even like long movies. I enjoy, I I love Giant, which is three hours and 37 minutes long, but you cannot tell me that there are movies that should be two hours and 52 minutes long. It's very rare that a movie justifies that kind of length. And Zack Snyder's idiot version of Justice League shouldn't be four hours and two minutes long, but I'm really happy that David French has now finally had the satisfying motion picture experience that he has always, always wanted. Um, he is, of course, Jonah's beloved colleague. He's a wonderful person. He's a great American. He's a saintly soul. But Jesus Christ, <laughs> does he have awful taste. <laughs> well, Holy shit. <laughs> the only thing I'll say in David's defense on this, because I generally agree with you, and like his praise of Aquaman is... is <laughs> Even saying those words. Yeah, I know. It, just, it, 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 yeah. It, it makes me feel unsafe. Yeah. Um, but... Um, <laughs> He says, look, I'm a fan, not a critic. And that lets you off the hook for a lot, including liking Aquaman. It (laughs) should, but then you shouldn't write essays defending your view. Yes. In other words, like, you don't then get to write an essay that says, here's why it's a magnificent da-da, because then you are pretending to be a critic when, in fact, it's just like, oh, look, it's Cyclops. I love Cyclops. You know? <laughs> I remember when he was defending Aquaman when we were both still in NR, and he wrote a sentence. I'm only paraphrasing it, but this is the gist of it, where he says, look, soldiers riding sharks shooting lasers out of tridents. Who can not like that? <laughs> okay, see, I, I, that, that, that I can get behind. That I can, but it's not, it's not defensible. In terms of why everybody else should, who wouldn't otherwise like yeah. someone yeah. riding on the back of a shark should enjoy right. it. Rob, do you like a movie with people riding on the backs of sharks, or could you take a leave? It worked in my dinner with Andre. <laughs> it did. It was very, actually, it's what, <laughs> made, it, what made my dinner with Andre work. Uh, I, um, I, I, this is just music that I don't hear. 
You know, sometimes people hear music and they're like, isn't that beautiful? I'm like, I don't hear it as music. I just, I just don't. It goes, a lot of it is just, I don't really have an imagination because it, like, it seems fake. So it seems like somebody made it up and it seems arbitrary, which I always drives me crazy. Um, and then it has some weird backstory that I know some dude invented and, and, you know, and came up with, you know, when, when it was, when someone said to me, oh, you know, Gene Roddenberry came up with all the, li- the names of the planets and the people and the, the thing <laughs> as he was driving to the studio and there were street names in the Pacific Palisades where he lived. I was like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, that's one of the reasons why I think it's stupid. Um, so I don't hear that. I don't hear the music that, that you hear. And I, I respect that you hear it. I, think I respect it. I just don't care. I don't care. But I do think it's you interesting that we're talking about characters that have already been fully exploited in every medium, good and bad. There was a Superman on the, in the 50s television that was one of the worst TV shows ever. But, and it's fantastic. You see reruns of it. It's just like a, it was like I think, I think the, the episodic budget was two cents. Well, when he gets fat. And also when he gets fatter and <laughs> yeah, fatter right. each season. Right. So and Lois Lane final, is like 52 like, years old. Four or five episodes yeah. before he was murdered. Right. Lois Lane is 52 uh, years old. Or whatever. Jumped off the Hollywood sign or whatever yeah. the hell it was that happened to him. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's like He's like there's like bulges and, and weird when he's places flying, on this. When he's flying, he's sort of stretched out. Like he, and he's on cables. You can see the cables kind of pucker yeah. on the back. Yeah. So he's got like reverse nipples. Yeah. And yeah. and then his gut yeah. is sort of like gravity's pulling yeah. it down. And he's just yeah. sort of like stretching like his stretching stuff. his hands out. Okay. And um and his hands in the back. And then then it's a bad. It's a, I think it's it's a rear screen projection. But there's clearly somebody behind on the, on the, on the sound effect mic doing this like. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah now jonah you as a as a comic book person mm-hmm. come on comic book guy you gotta pick someone we've already read three people don't you latte sipping leeches understand i've seen enough of these hollywood super hunks we need a dumpy unappealing loser an everyman can you help me out any change for a dollar oh i also need a dollar you said a lot of this is done in the Marvel. You're movies, a comic right? book guy. So Let's call you what you are. Each of the, yeah. in, in, in Justice League, <laughs> yes. it literally seemed to me, because my only real experience of, like, I am a great admirer, and watching my kids watch them has, has increased this, a really great admirer of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, accomplishment, particularly after, like, the first four or five movies when it's like they got it, that all got fixed and they yeah. understood how to do this. All these characters are analogous, right? I mean, it's like DC and they were, they were copying each other or, or was one, was DC copying Marvel? Was Marvel copying DC? Because every one of these characters seems to have a total analog in the other universe. And that's why I look at this and I say, Marvel did every single one of these better. Yeah, so maybe with the exception of Wonder Woman, who maybe Captain Marvel now is supposed to be Wonder Woman, but Wonder Woman seems to be her own thing. But am I wrong? Um, You're right in parts. It's just some of the characters who are drawn. Remember, some of these characters predate Marvel and DC and were picked up, you know, they were with other titles and incorporated in. And so sometimes, yes, like Mr. Fantastic is a ripoff of Plastic Man. And. 
Quicksilver is, in fact, a ripoff of The Flash. It's just that the movie studios did Quicksilver better than the comic books right. did. Right, okay. But I would argue that basically Marvel in a lot of ways, which I'm much more of a Marvel guy than a DC guy, is um, um, by far superior, not just in the movies, but also in the comics, because the the basic problem with DC can be summarized with Superman. Superman's just too perfect, right? He's too good. And he doesn't really have problems. And um, and almost all of the original real Marvel, Golden Age Marvel characters were flawed, right? Whether it's the mutants, they they didn't want to be X-Men. They wanted to be normal teenagers. And then they had, they're going through puberty and all of a sudden they feel awkward. And it turns out that they have this, these weird powers and they feel like outcasts in society and all that kind of stuff. Later on, they basically become Jews, that are, you know, where the government wants to commit or forces within the government want to have genocide against them. Spider-Man didn't want to be a superhero. Um, right. The thing didn't want to be a monster. You can go down this long list. And um, the the DC characters start out really just sort of goody two-shoes-ish. And um, okay. there's this great – I was reading – because I'm actually thinking about writing this response to David French about this stuff. I was reading this <laughs> thing about how, like – uh-oh. Wonder Woman, when she was like fighting Nazis, she had, she was all uh, tied up. They did a lot of tying up of Wonder Woman. I wonder why. And there's one scene where she has tape across her eyes, and she refuses to tear the tape off, and has to fly fight blindfolded when she escapes because quote her feminine vanity will not permit her to pull out her eyebrows. Whoa! <laughs> and, wow. Um, and and to this day, I think that DC suffers because it doesn't know how to doesn't know how to draw flawed human beings yeah. and that's one of the only reasons why I've always argued that Batman and Batman you have to say look I know this is this is all just static noise to rob but the Nolan Dark Knight trilogy is a legitimately fantastic movie Very I agree serious. with that I agree with that one. and I agree with that the oh, my problem with superheroes and then we can read the last ad my problem with superheroes is these movies involve scenes. I wouldn't bother reading the last ad no one is listening anymore <laughs> you are wrong. This is the only thing they listen to. You think they were listening to us talk about politics? They've fast forwarded oh, to this nice. part. Is you get these supernatural creatures who cannot be killed and they spend 20 minutes punching each other. Why are they bothering? I don't understand. They can't get hurt. So so like they punch and then one smashes into a building and the other one smashes into a rock and then they smash they throw each other and then this happens and then that happens. And it's like, why? I don't understand why. Why is this the climax? Like, they're all the same. It, they're all the same. Okay, they all have I, the same all, ending. So this, this, this reminds okay. me of my dad's. I still think brilliant criticism of the first and third Indiana Jones movies, which were basically the same movie just with different artifacts and different MacGuffins. Um, they're premised on the idea that if only Hitler. To get his hands on the Ark of the Covenant <laughs> yeah, right. or the Holy Grail, it would be out of God's hands. Well, that's the other that's the other thing. And then and really, which is like all these movies are premised on the notion that at the beginning of time, the gods took all of everything in the universe and they made them into four rocks. Really? <laughs> Why would you do that? That's the other problem with the Justice League. It's derivative of the Infinity Stones thing. I mean, granted, I, granted, gods have God has reasons that we know not, right? And he said to Job, "Where were you when I created the universe?" 
But somehow the notion that you would make it so easy for a CGI villain to make a glove out of the nine stones that created all of life and the world seems like bad planning. Well, on God's part, this is all I'm saying. I mean, and there's, a, there's a, I mean, this is sort of an Andrew Del Banco kind of point from the, you know, the death of Satan. But like, Hollywood has no problem making movies where the devil is real. I mean, how many movies, Exorcist, Yeoman, blah 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 blah. They have no problem with creating movies where all sorts of pagan gods and ghosts and hobgoblins and things that go bump in the night are real. But make a movie where God is real? No, well, you, know, you, you got to write what you know. <laughs> oh, excellent! And you know what else is excellent is freshly because dinner time can be chaotic, but with freshly it's easy. Their chefs take care of your meals a few nights a week and take the pressure off you. Freshly offers chef-made, nutrient-packed, delicious meals delivered fresh to your door. No cooking required. Grocery shopping and cooking can be a pain, especially right now, and particularly for me because I'm keeping. Passover and I got no leaven. I got no bread. I got nothing. I got no pasta. I'm going crazy. But with Freshly, you don't have to, particularly if you don't keep uh, Passover like I do. Your meals arrive cooked and fresh every week, so you can keep your fridge stocked and skip the trip to the store. Ordering is easy. Visit Freshly.com and choose from over 30 delicious, satisfying, better-for-you meals like things that I can't eat even when it's not Passover, like steak, peppercorn, sausage, baked penne, or their chicken pesto bowl. But you guys can, and I bet they're fantastic. Freshly can fit your lifestyle with a variety of plans and meals to pick from that work for your dietary needs, preferences, tastes, and family size. And now our listeners can try Freshly for just 6 bucks and 16 cents per meal. Stop searching the internet for healthy food near me every night and start living life freshly. Your meals are always delivered fresh, never frozen, and are ready to heat and enjoy in just three minutes with new meals added each week. Freshly brings the convenience of chef-made, nutritionist-designed classics right to your kitchen. And right now, Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off your first two orders when you go to Freshly.com slash Glop. Stop stressing about dinner. Go to Freshly.com slash Glop for 40 bucks off your first two orders. That's Freshly.com slash Glop for 40 bucks off your first two orders. Many thanks to Freshly for sponsoring the Glop podcast. Okay, now listen, we got to go. But tomorrow, opening at movie theaters, but also on HBO Max, but opening at movie theaters is a massive epic that has made $150 million worldwide before it even came here. And here's my question to you. I'm now fully vaccinated. I can, without any hint of trouble or whatever, right. go to a movie theater. Should I go see Godzilla versus Kong or Kong versus Godzilla or not? Because I saw Kong Skull Island and it was terrible. I saw the first Godzilla... And it was pretty good. The second Godzilla was terrible. How horrible is this going to be? And yet it's a movie to go to in a movie theater. Will either of you go see Kong versus Godzilla? Oh, yeah. Which also might be called Godzilla versus Kong. I don't remember which. So <laughs> Also, who are we rooting for? Are we rooting for Kong or are we rooting for Godzilla? We're rooting for Showbiz. Primate solidarity wins out, right? Um, but... This is the first movie you've gone to in the theater since uh, the pandemic started? This no, I, no, I went, I saw Tenet, but that was before, uh, A, and that was a really bad experience, but that was before, like, the second wave and everything got bad, and uh, I saw it in New Jersey, just to give you an idea of, of, of how desperate I was to go to a movie theater. I actually drove to New Jersey to see it. I, to I mean, see I'm going to see, I, I would see it under, I'll see it before I get okay. vaccinated, but, I mean, that's me. I, I see these movies. Um 
and I, I, you know, my daughter likes going to the movies, so that's what we do in right. a way. I so will she root for Kong, or will she root for Godzilla? For sure. I mean, you know, and, and I, I have actually, maybe we'll save it for another podcast, but I have, I have well-developed views <laughs> on Kong and the Kong franchise going way back, Rob, and Godzilla, frankly. Too. Well, we've, we've discussed Kong. You have great theories about Kong. You have one of your funniest theories is the Kong theory that the that they discover a giant gorilla and they discover dinosaurs and they're more excited about the giant gorilla than the living dinosaurs, which I think is basically the best point cultural criticism that you have ever made. It may of, be. Of, I mean, uh, yeah. it, it, okay. you know, it, there's a scene in Abbey and Cello where um, uh, Luke Costello finds this huge wad of cash and it's during World War II and it's wrapped in a rubber band and he takes the wad of cash, and throws it away and goes, good rubber! I found some good rubber! <laughs> That's how I view going to an yeah. island and discovering yeah. hordes of Tyrannosaurus Rexes, and yeah. we can kill all those, but let's bring home the big monkeys. <laughs> right. Anyway. Rob, how is the martini shot? Oh. <laughs> um, about this one? I, 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 it's doing very well. I'm very, thank you for asking. Um, it's, you can, you can subscribe to martini shot. It's only about four minutes. Um, and uh, you can listen to a whole bunch of them, and it does, it, it, they, they, are, they, they are not better in the second half because there is no second half. It's just their four minutes. Uh, I, 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 I follow my own rules. Quick in and out, little stories of show business. Pretty much uh, what I do here, except that you're not – you guys aren't around. I just tell, I tell a story about a Thank thing. Thank God. Yeah, and then I make a Thank couple God. jokes about it, and then I'm out. Then you're done. Get on with your day. Right. And of course, Rob's column appears monthly in Commentary Magazine, the magazine that I that I edit. We haven't even discussed what your May uh, uh, column column is is going to be. I guess we should have that conversation as if you want it <laughs> as deadline 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 approacheth. Um, do you have any cultural products to recommend to anybody? By the way, like you're a you're a reader, you're you're a watcher. Me? We've been talking about garbage. Yeah, what? Well, I haven't really done. I ha- unfortunately, I haven't really done much lately. I've just been. Uh, uh, I've been. I'm, I'm trying to do my own. Trying to finish some stuff I've been really bad about. So I have not been terribly good. I did. Um, I think I was texting you. I did actually to uh, try to watch uh, Mrs. Maisel, which I. I, I did, it wasn't. I didn't. Uh, you know. Didn't do it. Didn't do it for me. But that's yeah. And then um, that I have a bunch of things on on the queue that people keep kind of circling and telling me are really good. So I'm going to watch those. But the truth is, whenever I turn on the TV to watch something, I almost always first go to Criterion Channel, and then I watch whatever's on there. And I'm almost ha- right. always happy to watch an old movie. Um, uh, more happy than I am to, like, watch something that somebody told me was actually really good, but only, like, like the first hour is not so good. <laughs> like, that's – I'm not – no. Because I can um, I I get hit you? by a bus any minute. Like, uh, time is important. I, start start I don't good. Think I don't think it's good for little kids. I don't think I mentioned this on here before. But for, like, teenagers, if you want something that parents can watch and kids can watch, that kind of holds your attention. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Servant on Apple TV. It's, it's, it's not fantastic. And I don't think Shyamalan has any idea how he's going to end this thing. But um, you do, like want to find out what happens next and it holds your attention and it's it's interesting and there's a house it's set almost entirely in this house in philly that if you just watch it for that you know if you have just great house envy just for the real estate like yeah just as real estate it's great house porn it's just it's it's 
pretty good. The test point in that house costs $375,000. That's the <laughs> other thing about Philly. It's uh, not an expensive house. That's, uh, that's, the weird, that's the weird part of that. Um, I, I just want to, comp- as you guys know, I'll just finish by saying this. I read all of these horrible showbiz autobiographies sure. and biographies. So I just read a book called The Life and Times of Mickey Rooney, which is, which is a terrible Can we speak like, about it's this? A book. Yeah, we talked about this. Do I, we talked about the Mickey Rooney. Okay, we already maybe, talked about maybe this. Maybe that was because you were reading the previous book about Mickey Rooney. <laughs> yeah. okay. oh, you were reading okay, volume so one. Talking. It's, a, it's a, like a <laughs> so Robert Caro treatment. About, okay, I apologize. So this I'm not going to talk to you about the, about the, the, this is the life Mickey Rooney, Mickey Rooney, colon, a life reconsidered. But um, <laughs> what a garbage person he was. That's all i got to tell you. Oh, boy. Yeah. And I hadn't gotten to the part. Mickey Rooney, colon, garbage where his wife was murdered by her lover, who was some kind of Serbian mafioso, in 1959, and her and his kids still wonder whether or not it was a Tito had him killed. Just that's well, that's kind of cool, though. What's wrong with that? A, yeah, I know it's uh, n- nothing. Uh, that's why I wanted to bring it up, but I'd forgotten that I had mentioned the beginning of the book on the last glop, and now I will try to come up with another horrible showbiz story to share with you. On the next, but for now, we have kept you for too long, particularly Rob, who is desperate to get the hell away from this. We will never talk about superheroes <laughs> oh, ever again. I don't again. believe that. Rob is cutting himself. <laughs> I'm blaming Scott, who said, our producer, who said, you need to ask Jonah about Justice League. So, Scott, you are you are the GOAT today, and, and not I. But, uh, guys, thanks so much, and we will reconvene Anon. Later. Oh. Running to and fro, hard working at the mill, never fail in the mail, yet come a rotten bill. Too much monkey business, too much monkey business, too much monkey business for me to be involved in. Sales are talking to me, trying to run me up a creek, say you can buy it, go and try it, you can pay me next week. Ah, too much monkey business, too much monkey business, too much monkey business for me to be involved in. Good looking, trying to get me hooked. Want me to marry, get a home, settle down, write a book. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business for me to be involved. Same thing every day, getting up, going to school. No need of me complaining, my objections overrule. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business for me to be involved. Ricochet. Join the conversation. Hey, phone, something wrong, damn gone, will mail, order, suitor, operator for telling me a tale.
mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth. 